Good afternoon, everybody. Good to see you all here today. Should be an outline on your seat, so if you want to make use of that, there are all the verses and various things that we're discussing today will be on there, and everything hopefully will be on the screen as well. Now, most of you will know that before going into full-time Christian work back in 1999, I served as a customs officer for 10 years, and for most of that 10 years, my role was that of an intelligence officer. And that quite often involved working with other law enforcement agencies, particularly the police and the serious crime uh, teams and so on. And on one occasion, I was doing some digging into some intelligence reports that I'd received or that we'd received in our unit. And our job was to kind of sift through those intelligence reports and decide which ones were worth acting on and so on. And when I started asking a few questions, phoning a few police teams up that we had contact with about some of these targets, a police team heard that I was interested in these individuals. So they suggested, they got in touch and suggested, why don't we run a joint operation? You guys are interested in these guys. We're also interested in them. So I ended up, so I spoke to my boss about it. He said, yeah, you run with it. You be the case officer and off you go. And uh, I ended up being the case officer for the customs side of the operation. And when it came to the day, when all the premises were raided in and the arrests were hopefully going to be made, my job was to be in the police headquarters and coordinate all the customs staff that were out on the ground, working alongside, working in partnership with the police. In total, we had about 100 staff, 100 police and customs staff out on the ground for this big operation. Sadly for myself and the other customs staff, we weren't able to make any arrests that day. All the targets that we were looking at all uh, turned out to be clean on the day. But the police were very pleased because they were able to make one arrest, but the person they arrested wasn't on the the original target list, which at the time did seem a little bit odd to me. It was a really exciting day. It was fun for me. I was 20. I was getting to play soldiers. It was exciting and all that kind of stuff. It was great fun. And I really enjoyed what I was doing and I enjoyed running the custom side of the operation. But it was an event that I quickly forgot about because it was the kind of thing we were doing fairly regularly. And I forgot all about it until I'd actually left customs. Several years later, I got a phone call from another police force, a different police force completely. And this, by this time, Claire and I were working down in Hereford, working for the Lord as part of a church planting team. We talked about that last week a little bit, down in Hereford. And the police team that contacted me said they wanted to come and interview me um, about the operation that I'd been involved with. Apparently, they were making inquiries into it, and they were interviewing all the different staff that were involved. And because I'd been the lead customs officer for the operation, they wanted to come and interview me and ask me some questions about it. So I said, yeah, of course. Yeah, like, whatever I can do to help, Absolutely. And then a few days later, two senior detectives turned up at our house in Hereford, and to my surprise and shock, they then cautioned me and interviewed me a full tape-recorded interview. And it turned out that the case that I'd been involved in had involved some alleged police corruption, and a different force was now investigating the force that I'd been working with. If you've ever seen Line of Duty, which portrays a police anti-corruption unit called AC-12, this is exactly what I was now sort of involved with. I was facing, uh, or was part of the investigation that um, one team or one police force were investigating another police force. And they were trying to find out whether I was personally involved in this alleged corruption. Now, I'd been involved interviewing people under caution, but I'd never been on the receiving end. The first time we ever interviewed someone under caution was a seaman in South Shields. He'd just come off an oil rig, and when we stopped him and interviewed him under caution, he burst into tears. It was, because it's quite a terrifying thing, being arrested and being interviewed. And I suddenly realized what it was like, because I was on the receiving end. And they showed me, as we went through this interview, they showed me various photographs of surveillance pictures of the various targets and, and um, 
premises and so on, none of which I'd ever seen before and were obviously quite a surprise to me and a bit of a shock to me. And they were, they were trying to see if I was involved and it was quite obvious from my reaction and the answers that I wasn't. And they could quickly tell that I had no involvement in the corruption whatsoever. And, and the reality was that some police officers had used me and had used customs as a means of making this alleged corrupt operation look more legitimate. By involving us, it made it look more of a legitimate operation so that they could do what they were trying to do. The interview came to an end, and once the tape was stopped, they told me that I wasn't of any interest to them and that they they'd confirmed basically what they already knew but they had to go through the process of doing that. And sometime later, probably a few years later in fact, I found out that the officers from this anti-corruption unit had actually arrested some of the police officers that I'd originally been working with who'd first contacted me. And what I thought was the truth, the truth that they were telling me, what I thought was the truth turned out to be a pack of lies and it was really quite serious because although it, it involved the, the wrongful arrest of somebody during that operation, it also could have cost me my job. It put me in a really, really dangerous situation and it could have potentially cost me my freedom. Fortunately for me, it was very clear to this anti-corruption unit that I was completely innocent and that along with all, pretty much all the other staff that had been working on it that day, we were caught up with something uh, that we didn't know really what was going on. We'd been duped by these allegedly corrupt officers. And I had naively trusted the original pol uh, police officers and assumed that they would just be telling the truth. You'd assume that, wouldn't you? And, and as uh, had my bosses as well. They'd signed me off on this operation, said, yeah, absolutely, go ahead, make this, you know, run with this operation, because they also had been duped. They also believed that what they'd been told was the truth. But I was completely wrong. Their truth turned out to be false. It was a whole pack of lies. It was a kind of smokes, smoke and mirrors, and that pack of lies could have ruined my life. For, fortunately for me, my truth really was the truth. And these investigators were quickly able to see that as they kind of went through the investigation. And eventually it led to the people who had uh, committed offences and had been corrupt were actually arrested and I think uh, certainly lost their jobs and are behind bars, I believe, today. The truth and the question, what is truth, really does matter, doesn't it? For me, it really mattered because it could have been the difference between had I still been a customs officer, losing my job and potentially being arrested myself. So the, the question, what is truth, really does matter. There can't be more than one truth. There can only be one truth. There can't be two truths going on at the same time. What these uh, fraudulent police officers had been telling me couldn't be true alongside what I knew to be true. The two things were incompatible. So what is truth? What is the truth? Well, that's one of the most famous questions ever asked. And it was asked by a man called Pilate, who was the Roman governor that interrogated Jesus. This, by the way, is a stone tablet with Pilate's name on it, recording him as the governor of Judea, the Roman governor, which was found by archaeologists in 1961. And Pilate ruled from AD 26 to 37 AD. Now, Jesus was innocent of any crime, and yet he faced several interrogations, uh, included by Pilate, before eventually being sentenced to death, even though Pilate declared him to be completely innocent. But right at the heart of his trial, as he was being interrogated by Pilate, he was asked this most famous or most infamous of questions, what is truth? So let's read the account of this part of Jesus' trial, which is found in John chapter 18. If you've got a Bible handy, and if you haven't, there's loads on the seats on the floor and around you. We're going to read John chapter 18. We're going to read from verse 28 down to the end of the chapter, verse 40. Then the Jews led Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning. 
And to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, the Jews did not enter the palace. They wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, what charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, the Jews objected. This happened so that the words, of Je- the words Jesus had spoken, indicating the kind of death he was going to die, would be fulfilled. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied, It was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it you've done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you are right in saying I'm a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this reason I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? Pilate asked. With this, he went out again to the Jews and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in a rebellion. Jesus had been arrested by the Jewish authorities with the help of the Romans. And and he'd been interrogated by Annas and Caiaphas, who were the kind of joint high priest at the time. They found him guilty of blasphemy because he'd confirmed that he was the son of God. And under Jewish law, that was a crime that was punishable by death. But the Jewish authorities didn't have the legal power to carry out the sentence uh, of death because the Romans had taken away that power from them in, in 6 AD. And so if they wanted Jesus dead, then they had to get the Romans to agree. And the Romans weren't just going to execute someone just because they thought they were a god. The Romans had loads of gods, and so one more wasn't an issue to them. But if they could be persuaded that Jesus was a political threat to them, then they might be persuaded to execute him. And so they tried to persuade Pilate that Jesus was claiming to be the king of the Jews and as such he was a threat to them because he might lead an uprising and claim his throne. And if they could get Jesus executed by crucifixion, then they would prove that Jesus wasn't the Messiah, he wasn't the Christ, he wasn't the Son of God. Because in the Old Testament of the Bible, in the book of Deuteronomy, it states that anybody who was put to death and hung from a tree was cursed by God. And of course the cross was made from a tree. So they thought, if we can get Jesus crucified, hanging on a cross, hanging on a tree, that would be the end of Jesus, it would be the end of this Christian movement, it would be the end of Jesus' followers, because surely the Messiah wouldn't die hanging from a tree. As we look at the evidence in the Bible, we can see that Pilate wasn't a great individual. And Roman records also show that he was a a power-hungry, ruthless, violent, and and a really vain man. He would do anything to advance up the greasy pole of power and make himself look better. He'd probably fit right in in Westminster today. He's that kind of guy. And, And that's exactly what was motivating him as he questioned Jesus. Pilate told the Jewish leaders to take Jesus and judge him themselves by the 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 Jewish law, knowing full well that they wanted him dead. But, of course, he knew that they couldn't pass the death penalty. And this was all about humiliating them and making them beg to him, which is exactly what they had to do. And they had to admit that they didn't have the power to execute Jesus themselves. 
And in verse 32, we read this. This happened so that the words Jesus had spoken indicating the kind of death he was going to die would be fulfilled. Despite Jesus' death being the most outrageous act of evil that has ever taken place in the history of the world, it was all part of God's plan to deal with our sin and make it possible for us to have a relationship with God. Jesus had already said that he was going to be handed over to the Gentiles, to the Roman authorities, to be put to death. And so despite the evil of the cross, it was part of God's plan of salvation. It looked like a terrible injustice, and it was, but actually this was all part of God's great plan to save you and to save me. Pilate thought he was in control, but actually it was Jesus who was in control of the events. And if you read the the passage that we've just read, it often seems like Pilate's the one who's being interrogated and interviewed rather than Jesus. Jesus is the one who's in control. You know, that should give us great comfort in our own lives, shouldn't it? Knowing that no matter how bad things might get for us in our own lives or in the world around us, and it would be kind of difficult for the world around us to get much more crazy than it is at the moment, God is still working his purposes out. God is still in control. It might seem to us at times like in our own lives, everything has gone crazy. Maybe we get that illness diagnosis or some, like a relationship problem or maybe our, our, you know, our job goes, whatever it might be, and our whole world comes crashing down. Or as we look around the world, some of the terrible things that are happening. But knowing, and we need to know this, we need to, to really grab a hold of this, that God is still working his purposes out. God hasn't lost control. Just as Jesus was in control right up to the very last minute of his death. And as we're going to see probably in a few weeks' time, as Jesus hung on the cross, it was Jesus who breathed his last and gave up his spirit. Nobody took his life from him. Jesus was never a dying man. He was always alive until the moment he decided to die and give his life up. So no matter how how bad things can get in our lives, God is still working his purposes out. John tells us that Pilate then went back inside to, to question Jesus further, and he asked him if he was the king of the Jews. Are you the king of the Jews? And and Jesus and Pilate have this kind of discussion about where he got this information from, and then Jesus tells him that he is a king, but that his kingdom isn't a political one. Pilate didn't have anything to fear from Jesus. He wasn't about to claim the Jewish throne and and kind of start an uprising against Pilate and against the Roman Empire. Jesus didn't need soldiers. He just told Peter to put his sword away just a few hours earlier when Peter was trying to do the very same thing. Jesus' kingdom was and is an altogether different kind of kingdom. It's a kingdom that lives in people's hearts and in people's lives when they surrender to him. That's the kind of kingdom that Jesus has. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you're right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this reason I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of the truth listens to me. What Pilate had said was true, and and Jesus had come to reveal what was really true and to show us the truth, the truth about who God is and the truth about how to have a relationship with him through Jesus. Jesus had come to reveal that he was the Messiah, the Christ, God's chosen king to rule in the world that Jesus himself had created. Messiah and Christ mean the same thing. Messiah is a Hebrew word. Of course, the Old Testament of the Bible was written in Hebrew. Christ means exactly the same thing. The New Testament was written in Greek, and they both literally mean God's chosen king or God's anointed one. That's what Messiah or Christ means. It's not Jesus' surname. It's not like Gibson. Christ is a title. It's a title about who Jesus was, God's chosen king. So Jesus' kingdom is a kingdom of truth. He'd come to rule and to reign in people's hearts and lives by revealing the truth about God and revealing the truth about salvation to them. 
And when Jesus came into the world, all of the guessing games about God and about how to have a relationship with God were over. Jesus said these words to his, to his disciples just the previous evening before he, he found himself being interrogated. He said this, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. So Jesus isn't a version of the truth or the truth for some people but not for others. Jesus is the truth. He's the only truth. He's the only way to God. He's not just a version of the truth. He is the only truth. And if you want to know what is real and true in this universe, then Jesus is that truth. And he's the means by which we can know the truth because everything else is false and deceptive. Back in John 8, Jesus said these words. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So to know Jesus is to know the truth, because Jesus is the truth. And when we know the truth, the truth sets us free. Real freedom in life comes from knowing Jesus, from knowing the truth. Because when we come to know Jesus in a personal way, as our Lord and as our Savior and as our King, then we discover that every other kind of living, every other way of living is actually slavery and is false and is deceptive because it takes us away from God and it takes us ultimately to hell. Jesus came to show us that we were created by God to have a relationship with him, but that our sins separate us from God, and that one day we'll face God's holy wrath against our sins. And so we need a savior. We need somebody to come and deal with our sin and make it possible for us to get right with God and have a relationship with him. Jesus is that solution. Jesus is that answer. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and everything else is false, Everything else leads us away from God and to eventual eternal separation from God and from all that's good. As Jesus told Pilate that he'd come not to rebel against Rome, but that he was God's chosen king and he'd come to reveal the truth about humanity and about God, Pilate was confused. Maybe Pilate didn't really care. And he responded with this, what is now his infamous question, what is truth? What is truth? And it's difficult to tell whether Pilate is genuinely asking the question, well, well, what is truth? Or whether he was just being cynical and bitter. What is truth? Who cares? And maybe the kind of context suggests the latter. But Pilate's question has become the cry of Western society in what we now know as what we call the postmodern age, which is the age in which we live today. Postmodernism as a philosophy is the belief that there isn't an absolute truth, and that nobody can really know the truth, and that if something's true for you and it works for you, then that's great, but it's not necessarily true for me. And so people can believe all sorts of conflicting truths, so-called truths, even though they're logically incompatible, and as long as you don't hurt anybody, then that's fine. It's fine if you believe that, if it's your truth and my truth. But just think about that for a moment. Muslims believe that when you die, if you've done enough good acts, then you'll go to paradise. Atheists believe that when you die, there's nothing. So how you live in this life won't affect your eternal destiny because you won't exist anymore. Hindus believe that how you live in this life will determine whether you are reincarnated as a superior human being or whether you come back uh, at a lower social level or, or, or even perhaps as an animal. Christians believe that if you trust in Jesus, you'll spend eternity with God, but if you reject Jesus, you'll spend eternity in hell. But they can't all be true. 
Only one of those views, and there are other, obviously other views as well, but only one of those views can be true. Logic demands that what we believe will happen won't change what actually happens. I can believe in something for every bit of me, all, all that I'm worth. I can put all my faith and trust in something, but if it's false, if it's not true, it's not going to change what ultimately happens. Logic demands that what we believe will happen won't change what actually happens to us. What matters is what is true. It's what is true that will decide what actually happens to us. And there can only be one truth. There can only be one claim to reality that is true. Only one claim of reality can be true. And Jesus is that truth. So if, if, for instance, Hindus are right, then we'll all be reincarnated. Whether we believe in Jesus or not doesn't really matter. If Hindus are right and if they're true, we will all be reincarnated. But if the Bible is right, then whether we accept Jesus or reject him, that will decide whether we spend eternity with God or in hell. And only one of those two can be true. They can't both be true at the same time. That's a logical impossibility. And according to Jesus, he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. Jesus makes an exclusive claim to be the one and only truth. And therefore is stating that everything else, as well-meaning as it might be, is ultimately false. And it may be today that you have yet to surrender to Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And can I urge you to, and encourage you to do just that? Because when we know the truth, the truth will set us free. And knowing Jesus brings true freedom, and it brings the most amazing relationship with God himself. The truth really matters and it's the truth that sets us free to be the people that God has created us to be. People all around us believe some crazy things. They're often sincere, but they're sincerely wrong. You can be incredibly sincere. You can really believe something with all your heart, but you can be sincerely wrong. And as believers in Jesus, we need to be graciously and gently, but also firmly refuting the many false ways there are of living and point people instead to Jesus the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. And we also need to be really careful ourselves that we don't get sucked into the whole kind of postmodern way of living ourselves. Jesus isn't just right or true for us. Jesus is true for everybody. And we've got to be really careful that even as believers in Jesus, even as evangelicals and all the rest of it, that we don't kind of fall into this trap and mindset of thinking, well, you know, other people's views are just as valid. Now, obviously, we have to respect other people. But we don't have to respect their views because their views are false and wrong. Now, how we critique them and interact with them, obviously, we do that in an utterly respectful way with graciousness and gentleness and respect. But there can't be two, two truths. Only one thing can be true. And we need to be really careful that we don't get sucked into that mindset ourselves and start thinking that, well, my, my truth, what we believe here at church on a Sunday is just one of a whole variety of ways of thinking. It's not. It is the only truth. And Jesus makes that very clear. And, and as difficult as that can make it for us, as difficult as that can make things for us, by making us seem probably really intolerant and even arrogant out there in the world, it's so important that we reject other so-called truths. For sure, how we relate to people needs to be with great respect and gentleness and, and, and so on. But it's really important that even though it's going to make it difficult for us, it'll make it really hard for you at school or at uni or in a workplace to say this is the only truth, there is only one truth. And how we do that, we need great wisdom as to how we do that. But that is what we need to say, and we need to really stand firm on that. 
In verse 38, we read this, what is truth, Pilate asked. With this, he went out again to the Jews and said, I find no basis for a charge against him, but it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? Trying to please the crowd, preserve his career, Pilate offered to release Jesus, and even though he was probably mocking Jesus as he does so, he kind of calls him the king of the Jews. But it backfired on him, because they shouted back, no, not him, give us Barabbas. The Barabbas had taken part in a rebellion. The crowd, which was evidently a kind of violent mob stirred up by the Jewish religious leaders, chose a man called Barabbas over Jesus. Mark's gospel tells us that a man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who committed murder in the uprising. So he was probably a a member of the Zealots, who were a group of of Jewish guerrillas that fought against the Romans, who, of course, the Romans viewed as terrorists. He'd definitely been involved in some kind of recent rebellion against Roman rule, and he'd murdered somebody, or at least one person had been murdered by him in the process, and he was facing crucifixion for his crimes. Now, what's fascinating is that Barabbas' first name was actually Jesus as well. Jesus is just the uh, Greek version of the Hebrew name Joshua or Yeshua, and it was a common name at the time. Many, many men in Jesus' time would have been called Jesus. It was an everyday name. The name Yeshua or, or Jesus, as we say in English, means Yahweh saves. Yahweh is the special Hebrew name for God, which is usually translated in English as the Lord. So the name Jesus simply means the Lord saves. And this man's name, his surname was Barabbas, and his first name was Jesus. Barabbas was an Aramaic name, and Aramaic was the common language uh, spoken by the Jews at the time. It was closely related to Hebrew, and it was the language that Jesus spoke. Bar means son, and Abba means father. So Barabbas means son of the father. So his name literally meant Jesus, son of the father. And in the updated NIV, which is probably what most of you read, they've actually correctly translated Matthew 27, verse 17, as follows. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you, Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? And other extra-biblical sources also tell us that Barabbas' first name was Jesus. And so it was a choice between two men with the same name. What are the odds on that? Jesus Barabbas, Jesus son of the father, or Jesus the son of God the father who was called the Messiah or the Christ, God's chosen king. Two men with names that were so similar and yet so different. One was the epitome of all that was wrong and false. The other was the way, the truth, and the life. And the crowd chose Jesus Barabbas, Jesus the murderer, rather than Jesus the Messiah, Jesus God's chosen king. Verse 40 tells us, they shouted back, no, not him, give us Barabbas. Now, Barabbas had taken part in a rebellion. They rejected Jesus the Messiah, and they chose Jesus Barabbas instead. Jesus Barabbas was a real man, and yet he's a graphic picture of all that's fake and false and wrong. He's the total opposite to the real Jesus, the one and only son of the Father, Jesus the Messiah, the Christ Barabbas' name said one thing, but the reality of his life was really quite different. He was a fake, he was a fraud, he was a deceiver, he was a murderer. His name was so similar to the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet he couldn't have been more opposite if he tried. Barabbas led people away from God, and yet Jesus, Jesus the Messiah, leads people into relationship with God through his life, his death, and his resurrection. 
But if today, if you've yet to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, can I challenge you to do so today? To reject all that's false and wrong and turn to Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Anything or anyone else other than Jesus the Messiah, the one and only Son of God, will lead you away from God into what is false and ultimately what is fatal. Jesus the Messiah, on the other hand, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life will lead you into forgiveness, a relationship with God, and eternal life. Most people still, sadly today, reject Jesus, and they choose their equivalent of Barabbas, whatever or whoever that might be or look like. But God wants every single person on this planet, including you, including me, to choose his one and only son, the true one and only son of the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Jesus ended up taking Barabbas' place there on the cross. And of course, as such, Barabbas is also a picture of every single one of us, isn't he? Because like Barabbas, we're all rebels, murderers, and thieves, and we all deserve God's wrath for our sin. And yet Jesus, the real son of the Father, chose to take our place there on the cross. And when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, then like Barabbas, even though we don't deserve it, we get to walk free because Jesus takes the punishment that we deserve, just as he took Barabbas' place. Barabbas went free, despite being guilty and deserving of death, whilst Jesus, the perfect son of God, was crucified in his place. And when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, then despite the sins that we've committed against God and against other people, we too get to go free. We can have our sins forgiven, have our relationship with God, eternal life, and all because Jesus was punished in our place there on the cross. Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today and we confess and profess our belief that the Lord Jesus Christ is the the way, the truth, and the life, that he is the only way to the Father, that he is the truth, that everything else, all of the belief systems, all of the philosophies, all of these things are false and fraudulent and eventually will lead us away from you and into death and into hell. We thank you that you are the very opposite of these things, Lord Jesus. Thank you that you are the truth and that you lead us to the Father. And thank you that you've led us into relationship with God. Thank you that we have had our sins forgiven because like Barabbas, we got to go free even though, Lord Jesus, you took our place. Thank you that you did that for us. Help us, we pray, Lord, to stand firm for the truth. Help us to stand firm for the one and only truth. And even in a world which is very hostile and and believes very differently to what we believe, help us to stand firm and to graciously and gently but firmly teach and preach the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that you love us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you took our place. We worship you as our Savior, as the one who was our substitute sacrifice there on the cross. Help us this week to live our lives in ways that bring you pleasure and honor and glory in response for all that you've done for us and all that you are to us and all that you mean to us. We worship you today and we pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.